Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Regeneration. If this is a first time for you, a couple things different, just to let you know. Our giving, we don't pass the plate or things like that here, or a KFC bucket or anything like that. We just leave a, a metal tin in the back that actually when you walk by, it magnetizes your coins and stuff so your pockets move over. But it's back there, and we just want to keep it between you and God. We don't want to make a big deal out of it. This is between you and the Lord, so you drop your stuff back there, your two mites or your $200,000 or whatever you want to put, put it back there, and that's what's used for our tithes and offerings. Typically in the summertime, I take a few weeks off, and it's the time for me to reset and figure out what's happening. And so now that I'm on break, I asked Jared, a friend of mine, to come teach. He's planting a church out in Walnut Creek, and it's a church that our church gives to financially and prays for and is supporting. And so we asked Jared to come share with us. And so come on up, Jared. Let me pray for you, because this is a rowdy crowd. Father, thank you so much for my brother, and I pray that your blessing be upon him and his family as they uh, make this transition up to the Bay Area. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through him using your servant to teach us, to show us what you want, Lord. I pray that we are open-minded and open-hearted for what we are about to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Albert. Well... It's a blessing to get to share with you guys again this week. If you guys have a Bible, open up to John chapter 10. Last week we studied Psalm 23, if you guys were here last week. And really what we did was we looked at the sheep's view of his shepherd. And again, from last week, it was a unique look because really we got a unique perspective from a shepherd who kind of took the place of a sheep because that's what he was, but he kind of projected what he saw in the care and really the love that a shepherd has to have for a sheep. He kind of showed that forth in his psalm as he looked at God as his shepherd. It's so good for us to know how to view God as our shepherd. And so we got that insight last week. We saw the benefits and the blessings that come from having a relationship with our shepherd, Jesus. And today, we're going to be in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 30. It's not going to be a strict kind of expositional look at the text. We're going to really be pulling things from these verses. But we're going to look today at the good shepherd and how he views his sheep. Now, I don't want anyone to be confused, so I'm just going to clarify. Last week, it was the shepherd from the sheep's perspective, but today we're going to see the shepherd from his own perspective, and we're going to see how he views us as his sheep. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Either way, we're moving on. Now, knowing how to view our shepherd is very, very important. But knowing how our good shepherd views us is also really important because his view of us is actually where we gain our value and our identity and our security. It's how he views us that all of those things start to fall into place in our lives. It's how we begin to be able to trust God and to put our faith in who he says that we are in him because that's important. So today, let's pray. Again, I know Albert prayed, but I can't have enough prayer. Let's ask God to bless our study. 
ask him to do something fresh and new in our hearts today. Father, we come before you again, and Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that we can come to you, Lord, anytime. God, thank you that you've made yourself known to us. Jesus, thank you for showing us the Father. Now, Lord, we don't have to wonder. We're not left to our own devices to try and figure you out. God, you've told us about yourself. And you've told us how you view us and who we are in you, Lord. And today we want to look at that. We want to really receive that, Lord. We want to walk in that truth of your word. And so, God, would you speak to our hearts Lord, would you please pour out your spirit upon us this morning, God? Would you baptize us afresh? Lord, I know for myself, Lord, I need that. I need you to revive my heart, Lord, to fill me with your joy, Lord. Would you just do that work today? Do something new today in us. And God, will we leave this place having seen you more clearly? And having met face to face with Jesus, would that change us? Would that transform us? So Lord, bless this time. Would you speak through me now to your people? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, John 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. This is Jesus speaking and he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now, just to keep this all in context, in the previous chapter, Jesus heals this man who had been blind since birth. As he would do many times, did unconventional things in unconventional ways, so that we wouldn't try to put God in a box of how we can kind of patent how his healing works and in this situation, he just spat on the ground and made a little clay out of that and rubbed in the dude's eye and said, go wash. And the guy responded in faith. He went to the pool of Siloam, he washes, and he came back seeing for the very first time in his life. And so he comes back, Jesus isn't there now, but the man's neighbors and the people that had seen and known him before start tripping out and they're asking him how he could see and he's telling him about Jesus and so they bring this man to the Pharisees. Long story short, the Pharisees don't believe him. They get mad at him because he attributes the miracle to Jesus. Then they get mad at Jesus because he healed the man on the Sabbath. And the result is that the Pharisees actually excommunicate the man that Jesus had healed. Well, Jesus hears about him getting cast out by the Pharisees, and he goes and finds him. He reveals to him that he is the Son of God. The guy puts his faith in Jesus, and then Jesus basically rebukes the Pharisees and starts to address their blindness toward him and what he had done in this man's life. 
And so what we see here as Jesus begins to give this illustration or this allegory is he's really making a stark contrast between himself and these false shepherds in the religious leaders of the day. Because these men, these religious leaders, should have been shepherding God's people. They should have been representing God's heart to his people. And yet, this man who needed to be embraced and to be welcomed in was actually cast aside and cast out because what happened didn't fit into their mold and what they said should happen. These sorts of things don't happen on the Sabbath. Jesus was in the wrong for healing this man. And here in this illustration, in verses 1 through 4, what we see is this sheepfold that Jesus talked about represents the current religious system of Judaism at that time. The sheep inside the sheepfold were the people of Israel, and the shepherd who enters the door and calls his sheep by name and leads them out is Jesus. Again, these religious leaders should have been representing God's heart to the people, but they were failing in that. And in Matthew 23, Jesus actually responds to a lot of the hypocrisy that he saw in the Pharisees, and almost the entire chapter there is designated to Jesus rebuking and calling out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and their spiritual pride. And I just want to share a couple verses just to kind of give you a better picture of what was going on there. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, this is what Jesus said about the religious leaders. He said, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And in verse 13, he goes on to say, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. That's a really harsh indictment. Basically, he says, look, you guys are shutting up heaven. You guys aren't going in, and you're not letting anyone else in either. You guys are laying burdens on people that they can't handle, and you're not willing to do anything about that. These false shepherds only cared about what they could get from the people or how spiritual they looked to the people, And they didn't want to lose their power over the people. Now, in these first five verses, we gain some insight from Jesus' illustration into the kind of shepherd he is. Now, again, in verses 1 and 2, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. We see here from these verses that really he is the only true shepherd. And the only one who can lead someone out of religion and into a relationship is Jesus. You guys may have heard this before, but religion is basically man's attempt at reaching God. Whereas relationship is God reaching down to man. The people of Jesus' day were trapped in religion and religious traditions that were actually keeping them from the relationship by faith that God has always wanted to have with his people. And it's really no different today. Religion seems to be our default because there's something in us called pride 
that wants to be able to reach God by our own doings. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like our default a lot of times is like the law. You know, it's a lot harder to stay in that place where we're really living in the new covenant of grace. It's harder to do that a lot of times because our flesh loves that kind of concept of, well, maybe I can just do really good and then God will be pleased with me. And there's a lot of people today that are in that place. They have really good intentions. They really do want to know God, but they're trying really hard on their own to reach God. And he's saying, look, I won't accept that. And I don't want that. I don't want religion. If you look at the Gospels, you see that Jesus really hated religion because he saw what it did to people. He saw what happened. He saw what happened on the receiving end from the people and he saw what happened when the religious leaders took a hold of this whole religious system and then used it to their own benefit. And everyone lost in that situation. So Jesus shows up and he's like, look, I am reaching out to you. That's what we see in the gospel. God reaching out to man, coming as a man to reach man. Jesus is the one who leads us out of dead religion and into a living relationship with himself. And we see here in these verses that the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, we see from verse 3 that he knows his sheep by name. Look again, he says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. To Jesus, we are not a number. And he doesn't just see the sum total of us as people. And that's important to know about our shepherd. And it's cool to see it from his perspective. Because in that day... It didn't matter how many sheep you had, you named your sheep. You were familiar with your sheep. Now for us, if we were to come to a flock of sheep, we'd be like, that's sheep, right? Maybe we would pick one out if it was like the one black sheep among a hundred white sheep. We'd be like, okay, that one's different. I notice you. But the rest we would be like, I don't know which one is which. Now, to a shepherd, his job was to know the sheep and to take care of the sheep, to get familiar with the sheep. And with us, it's no different. He knows us individually. I love it in that passage that says, Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? Have you ever felt like that? Like, God, you are God, and I'm just this little person here on this giant planet, and why would you want anything to do with me? Why would you want to know me? Why would you take such care to hear me every time that I talk to you? Or to care what's going on in my life every day, throughout the day? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, But when he, and it was speaking of Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And this is just one of several places in the gospel where we read of the compassion that Jesus had, not for only groups of people, but also for individuals. He looked at them with compassion. He looked at them with love. 
he looked at them and he saw someone that he cared for. Guys, he is mindful and relational and has named every single one of his sheep and he can distinguish them from one another. He calls to them and he doesn't leave any of them behind and his eyes are always on his sheep. Isn't that good to know? That our shepherd is mindful of us. He knows us. He loves us. Again in verse 4 it says, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. We see from this verse that he goes before and he leads us. He doesn't trail behind and drive the sheep by head by force. He's not this slave-driving, ruthless taskmaster who beats us into submission as he comes behind us. He's the humble and gentle servant, savior, king who compels us with his love and leads us by his grace and kindness. And that's really important for us to know too. You know, we're not in this sort of legal relationship with God where every time that we screw up, God's just looking to pounce on us, you know? He's not like that. He leads us from ahead. He's going before us. He is paving the way for us. He's blazing the trail and he's leading by example. And you know what's cool is anytime we see Jesus in scripture calling us to something, he's never calling us to something that he himself hasn't already done before or gone through. You know, it's really hard to follow somebody that has no idea what you're about to do that they ask you to do, you know? It's like when you see somebody that has never lifted a finger in their life and they're like, hey, go clean that toilet over there. You're like, why? Why would I want to do that? You wouldn't do that. But when your boss is the person who's in the bathroom like cleaning the toilet and then he says the next day, hey, would you mind cleaning the toilet? You're like, yeah, I can do that. I can follow your example because you are leading me by example. And for us with Jesus, he's leading the way. When he says, look, I want you to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't go and then lead this easy existence and never go through anything. He actually physically picked up a cross and then he was hung on it. He asks us to follow him, but he's also the one that's going through all those things and he knows what we go through. He understands what we deal with. He understands what temptation is like, but yet overcoming it and never sinning. None of us have been offered the whole entire world by Satan. Jesus endured temptation like we couldn't endure it the same way as him. And yet he did to show us that we can overcome temptation. Now, the sheep follow him as he goes before them and speaks to them. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice because the shepherd has spent time with them and continually speaking to them. And he does speak to us through his spirit in that still small voice. And if we just quiet ourselves and listen, we will hear him and become familiar with his voice too. Guys, when a shepherd would go into the sheepfold, there could be multiple flocks of sheep there. And yet, when the shepherd would start to call out to his sheep, 
Because the shepherd had spent time with the sheep, because the shepherd had spent time among the sheep, talking to the sheep, loving on the sheep, the sheep grew familiar with the shepherd's voice and they wouldn't come to anyone except for their shepherd. And so for us, we can follow Jesus because he has left us his spirit and he speaks to us and we know him. We know him. We know when we open up his word and we start to read, we know when he's speaking to us, to our hearts. Our spirit bears witness. We're like, yeah, Lord, oh man, Lord, thank you. This was for me today. You knew I needed to hear this today. You knew what was going on in my heart. Lord, you knew I needed that and you spoke to me. Thank you. So he speaks to his sheep and he calls them out. Starting in verse 7, Jesus stops using the illustration and he starts to speak clearly and openly about himself and his sheep. Let's read verses 7 through 10. It says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So he's not just a shepherd. He's also the door of the sheep. A shepherd would actually lay himself across the opening to the sheepfold to provide safety and security for his sheep. So when Jesus says, I'm the door of the sheep, he's giving a very real picture to them that they would have understood. Jesus is the only way into the sheepfold. You can't get past him. You can't go around him. And if you try to go around him and go over the walls into the sheepfold, it just shows that your intention is to steal, to rob away sheep. Now, in verse 9, we also see that he provides salvation for his sheep as they come through him. And salvation isn't just something that he gives to us. As I think sometimes, and I don't know about you, but I found this to be true even in my own life. Sometimes I'll talk to God and it's like I'm asking God to like, throw things to me like he has this utility belt with all these things on it like lord can you give me some of that peace that you got you know lord can i get some of that love like that little compartment on your belt can you just like toss it to me can i have that salvation and yet he is salvation he is love all these things that we need are found in him they're actually found in his very name the name Yeshua, Yehoshua, means God is salvation. He is the salvation. He is the door. He is the way, you remember in John 14, 6, the truth and the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. The thing about doors is they open and close. They provide access and they provide safety. Jesus does both. He is the one that provides the safety, but he is also the access point to the Father. And many people want to go around Jesus. They like the idea of Jesus, 
They love the fluffy sayings of Jesus. But when it comes to the exclusivity of Jesus, they don't like it as much. They'll say, well, that's just too narrow. And yet Jesus himself said that the way to life is a narrow way. And that the gate was narrow. But that's the way to life. It's not on the road that's broad and easy. It's the one that's narrow that leads to him. And few find it. Now, in verse 10, we see that there's this thief whose whole motive is just steal and to kill and to destroy. And while the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the contrast is that the shepherd and door of his sheep came so that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. Guys, the thief is real. The thief is real. And he's really after us. And he really hates us. And he really does want to steal from us. He really does want to kill and destroy us. And yet the shepherd is the one that protects us. He's the one that provides safety for us. Now look at verses 11 through 16 with me. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he's not just a shepherd, he is the good shepherd, and he is the door of his sheep. And in verse 11, we see that the first thing that Jesus tells us about himself as the good shepherd is that he gives his life for his sheep. He gives his life for his sheep. And not only does this speak to us of the depth of his love for us, but it also speaks to us of the value that he sees in us. Guys, we can determine the value by the cost. If Jesus would lay down his own life so that you and I could have life, he values us. He sees something in us of value. He sees something in us that he would leave his throne in heaven. Glory, sinlessness, perfection, the worship of angels for all eternity past. And then to step away from that and to take on human flesh and to walk among us so that he could get to the point where he could give that life for us. There's value there. That cost, there is no greater cost than that. There was nothing greater that God could lay down to purchase you and I back to himself, to redeem us, than his own blood. 
There is nothing greater. There is nothing greater. There is no greater cost that could have been paid for you and I than for Jesus, the spotless, pure Lamb of God, hanging on a cross, brutally murdered, shedding his blood, so that you and I could just say, thank you, I receive. That is not a fair exchange. You guys know that, right? <laughs> Jesus says, look, here's my righteousness. Here's my life. And in return, give me your unrighteousness. Give me your sin. That is like the worst exchange ever. But it is the most amazing exchange for you and I. Because we're the ones that benefit from it. And a lot of people think that they're this great prize. I don't want to like diss anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but we're not that great. We're not. <laughs> if anything, I look at myself and I'm like, Lord, why would you want me? Why would you lay down your life for me? But all that does for me is just thank him, praise him, adore him, worship him. Because the cost was great. Because before Christ, we were enemies of God. You and I, maybe from a parental perspective, for those of you that are parents, you know you would lay down your life for your kids. Or a husband for a wife, I would take a bullet for my wife. You know, we get that. That's like ingrained to us from the moment we see like that little face pop into the world. It's like, man, I would give my life for my kid. Your kid gets sick, you're like, Lord, give me their sickness. But for an enemy, how many of us would say, yeah, I will lay down my life for the person that murdered my family. I would lay down my life for someone like Adolf Hitler. I don't think many of us would say yes to that. And yet Jesus displayed the most amazing amounts of love and care when he hung on the cross and as he is being spit upon and mocked, he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I'm dying for them. I'm laying down my life for them. There is value there. And I know there's a lot of people in this world, they don't feel very valued. They don't feel very valued. Maybe it was their upbringing, things that happened to them. They don't see a lot of value in themselves. And yet, in Christ, our value is found. We could not have a greater sense of value than in what Jesus says of us, that we are his sheep. We're his. We're his. In verses 12 and 13, he gives this picture of a hireling. A hireling, not the shepherd. Some guy that comes in, this is my day job, this is what I do, this is what I get paid for. And if danger comes, the hireling takes off. Because the hireling doesn't really care for the sheep. The hireling doesn't love the sheep. The hireling doesn't have any ownership of the sheep that he would want to defend them, stick with them. So we see here there's a contrast even between the hireling and Jesus. The hireling who doesn't care because there's no ownership and Jesus 
who cares infinitely because he does have the ownership. And not only is our value found in how he sees us, but also our identity is found in how he sees us. We belong to him. He has purchased us with his own blood. He's given us his own righteousness. And now we are seen as perfect by the Father because he sees us in Christ. Guys, as Christians, our identity isn't in our upbringing or our past mistakes or how much we do or don't have physically or materially. It's not found in being famous or forgotten. It's not what the world or others say about us. It's none of those things. Our identity is changed forever when we put our faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. How many people who maybe were given up as children for adoption, they struggle with this problem of identity. In their whole lives, they feel abandoned. Their identity is, I was abandoned as a kid. And yet in Christ, we're told in Galatians, we have been adopted into God's family. He takes us in. We get his name. We're in Christ now. And we become sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We become joint heirs with Christ, we're told. We're told that we have passed from death and into life. And we're told that we're new creations in Christ and that the old things have passed away and everything has become new. He changes our identity. Whatever we saw ourselves as before Christ changes when we become found in Christ. We're his now. We don't have to say, well, I was an alcoholic or I was a drug addict or I was this or I was that. That all gets changed when we find our life in Christ. We become his. We become his. He defines us by his ownership as our shepherd. Now, in verse 14, we see that a good shepherd knows his sheep and is known by his sheep. Now, this is cool because not only does he know us, but he has made himself knowable to us. I had a conversation with a guy one time and I was trying to share the gospel with him. It's like he wanted to acknowledge that God existed. He wanted to acknowledge that Jesus was real, but his conclusion was that even though I think Jesus is real, you know, all these things, I don't think he's knowable. That's what he told me. God is not knowable. And I think there's a lot of people that are like that. Well, maybe there's this cosmic being out there, but uh, there's not really any way to know him. He's just too big or he's too mystical. You know, whatever their thing is, but you can't know him. And it's like, dude, just pick this thing up. It's amazing because he's told us everything about himself. Not that we get everything about him. Not that we figure him out. 
right? We're told that his ways are higher than ours and past finding out. And there's things about him that we can read and yet we still are just like, how does that work? But that's the whole thing about him being God and we're not God. You're not going to figure everything out about God, ever. But he has made himself knowable. He has made himself knowable and he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to press into him. Now, read again verse 16. Jesus says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The good shepherd loves all the sheep. His plan of salvation is for all mankind, both for the Jews and for the Gentiles. He didn't want two segregated flocks, but one united flock under one chief shepherd, which was himself. Now, this was a hard one for the Jewish mindset. They had a really hard time with this. You remember in Acts that Peter was on a rooftop and he received a vision from the Lord. And God gives him this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven with all these unclean animals on it. And all the instruction that Peter gets from God is, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I can't do it. Those are unclean animals. Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean. And God was trying to do something through that vision that was speaking of something not of eating an unclean animal, but of not calling other people who they saw as unclean, unclean anymore. Because God wanted to include the Gentiles as part of his family. And if you here today whether you're a Jewish person or whether you are not Jewish, a Gentile like me. That is good news for us because God wants us in his family. He wants to include us in his flock. Now look at our last section of verses here in verses 25 through 30. In this section, Jesus responds to his critics' questions where they're asking him, they're demanding of him to tell them if he is really the Christ or not. And he says, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Not only is our value and our identity found in what Jesus has to say about us, but our security is also found in Jesus and what he's promised us. Those who have made Jesus their shepherd through salvation will never truly perish. This doesn't mean that we won't experience physical death, but it does mean that we won't ever experience spiritual death, separation from him for all eternity. And we see here that Jesus says that no one can snatch us from his hand. Guys, our security is found in him. He's the one who gives us eternal life, 
He's the one who said that we won't perish. And he's the one who said that he won't let anyone snatch us out of his hand. For those of us in here who are Christians, maybe today you just need to be reminded where your value is found, where your identity and security is found, and be reminded to stand on the promises of God today. Listen to his voice. Listen to his voice, and when he calls, follow his lead and walk in that spirit-filled, abundant life that he has for each of us today. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, the only way to gain access to be a part of his flock and to be one of his sheep is to come to the good shepherd and door of the sheep. You have to come to Jesus. There is no other way. He is the way. You've got to come to the cross and be confronted with the reality and seriousness of sin and see Jesus hanging there in our place, taking the weight of our sin upon himself, taking the judgment and punishment that we deserved so that we wouldn't have to be punished for our own sins. Experiencing temporary separation from the Father so that you and I wouldn't have to be separated eternally from the Father. And if you haven't received Christ, I want to ask you, do you hear his voice today? Because he is calling to you. He's calling you to come to him, to open up your heart to him, to follow him, to receive him, salvation. He is salvation. He is eternal life. It's found in him. If you've never received Jesus today, I want to give you that opportunity now. If you guys would bow your heads with me and pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for sending your son here because of your great love for us, Lord. You didn't want this world to perish. You didn't want us to be eternally separated from you. You provided the way for us through Jesus. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you for telling us about yourself. Thank you for making yourself known to us. And thank you for telling us who we are in you. Lord, the value that we have in you. Our identity that's found in you. Lord, our security. The security that you give us. That you provide for us. Lord, I pray for these in this room right now. Lord, I pray if there are any, God, this morning who just need to be encouraged. Who just need to be reminded, Jesus, of who you are. Of your love for them, Lord. Of your care for them of your promises to them, of how you see them, of who they are in you. Lord, I pray that you would minister to their hearts. God, that you would encourage and build them up today. God, that you would lead them and call them. God, that you would empower them, Lord, to live out that spirit-filled, abundant life that you provide for each of us. And Lord, if there is anyone in here today who doesn't know you personally, they've never put their faith in you, Jesus. They've never said yes to you. They've never confessed their sin to you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them now by your spirit, that you would soften their hearts, that you would show them, Lord, their need for you, that, Lord, you gave your life for them so that they could have life, real life, 
true life, true love, true joy, true peace, true fulfillment, Lord. And if that is anybody in here today, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you want to make that decision, that invitation is for you. If that's you today and you know that you need to just say yes to Jesus, would you just raise your hand and I'd love to pray for you this morning, wherever you're at. Awesome. Well, in a room of believers, as those redeemed of the Lord, God, we thank you and we give you now our offering of praise, Lord, our thanksgiving, the fruit of our lips. Lord, we want to worship you. We want to respond now to you, God, in praise. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.